You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. From baseball's top personalities. The Hall of Famer, one of the great TV broadcasters, Bob Costas is here on A's Cast Live. To the A's legendary players. Five-time Major League Baseball home run champ, Mark McGuire is with us here. You never know what stories you're going to hear. We used to come out here to lunch and run with our shirts off. (laughs) (laughs) You would say. This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Time now for another edition of A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. We're bringing him back home. The Bay Area kid from the South Bay, a San Jose State great, played for years in Major League Baseball and now does television for the Nationals. Our really good friend, Kevin Franz. And this is all about friends. How about Mike Farron? He is a host on Sirius XM MLB channel. And Eric Valenzuela, the Long Beach State head coach, but used to be the head coach at St. Mary's. And, of course, he was the head coach for Ken Waldachek. All coming up, but we'll start with the kid from the South Bay. Went to Bellman Prep, start at San Jose State, our good friend, Franny. Ladies and gentlemen, my next guest coming to us from our nation's capital. He is a kid from the South Bay, Bellman Prep, one of the great San Jose State baseball players of all time. He's not number one, but he's one of them. Former big leaguer and now with the Washington Nationals doing television, Kevin Franz and the great Franny is with us. Franny, how are you? Tony, how you been? It has been a while. I know. Well, last time I saw you, you had like this makeshift studio. Now you have a green screen and everything. Yeah, we're uh, we're we're now at we're at NBC. I'm doing the TV today and the radio. I'm double I'm double dipping double paychecks today. So they they set us up. They set us in this room that uh, here up here in San Francisco, it is fantastic. How is the first year back with the Nats? Of course, you played there, but how's the first year doing TV? Uh, well, it's been fun, I guess. Isn't that, that's the classic line you're supposed to say, I think. Um, I don't like losing. <laughs> I don't, I, I'm very much on board with the, uh, the fact that, you know, we haven't played well in the field. Now, a couple things go into uh, the other part of it, which has been awesome, which is this coaching staff has been ridiculous uh, for myself. You know, getting acclimated to, to everything here, uh, pretty much being just open book on everything. Um, the players have been awesome. There's been a lot of, you know, up and downs with a lot of guys. And then, you know, obviously a little trade that kind of shook the world. But, um, yeah, it's been good. I mean, Bob Carpenter is as pro as a – as you come with a uh, longtime broadcaster and then uh, Dan Coco, who's been filling in of recent, um, it's been, uh, it's been fun. It's been, it's been different because of, you know, you're the new guy on the block, but uh, we've had a blast in even in a losing season and uh, we're trying to make the most of it. Yeah. Carpenter's got a scorebook, right? And for years, I had this company that made my scorebook. It was fancy with the A's logo. They're down in Morgan Hill, and I was paying, like, after shipping, it was like 115 And And one day I'm like, I can get Carpenter's book that's got everything I need for 30 bucks, and it's going to be here in a yeah. week. Bang. So tell your boy I, I support him every single oh, I year. He's getting, I will. He's getting a little San Jose State money from me. Uh, before we get into this game, <laughs> 
we're climbing a mountain. Spartans start on Thursday, so you better stay yeah. up late. No, no, it's uh, it's going to be an exciting year. Uh, I, I always wonder what that year after a, a whatever year is going to be like, you know? This is it. This is it. Coach Brennan for uh, Coach of the Year already. Let's do this. Yeah, it's always one of those, kind of like an A season. It's like, you can have a good season. Oh, my God, what's going to happen next year? And then you can have another good season. You're like, oh, my God, what's going to happen next? We just have to enjoy the ride as we have it. Uh, Just take us through the whole Juan Soto doesn't want to sign. Ah, you're going to offer Juan Soto another deal. I mean, it's just, just on and on and on. You had the trades last year. You weren't there. You were in Philly. But the trades last year with Turner and Scherzer going to L.A., Obviously, breaking up the championship club, which is always tough to do. But Juan Soto's a different deal. He's young. He can be a national forever, but he keeps turning down crazy money. And then the big trade with Bell to San Diego. And the Nats got a huge haul. Take us through it. What, what was the experience like? Uh, not fun, I guess you could say. Because, I mean, Juan's, Juan's different. Like, when you think about um, – overall hitters in the game he's the top right um i call him the black and white because that's all he's compared to is black and white photos it's like babe ruth and mickey mantle and you know stan musual and you're, you're you're looking at these names going seriously and to know and understand who he is as a person first off i mean that that kid's crazy good but then he's a crazy good person and you know willing to do any interview and every interview um he's so so dialed in with his english now that he doesn't he just shoes off the interpreter saying like no i got this um the ability to have that confidence i wonder if i always wonder if that translates to stuff on the field right like guys yeah. that are so confident um being able to uh you know speak the language the native language and, and hear it in english and um I, I just feel like it just it just makes him like the superman um uh, I can understand both sides. Number one, the Nationals, I don't care what anyone says about AABs or not, they offered him one hell of a contract. <laughs> right? So I don't I, I don't want to hear people going like, AAV, you can't do this. Hey, they did it, they did it right. And that's not me. I, I don't technically work for the team. So I can tell you on the other end if I didn't agree with it. Um, and then I agree with Juan. If he doesn't feel like that's good enough for him, then so be it. I mean, it is a giant gamble, you know, and, and so for the uh, Boris court and uh, what they've decided with him is that they're going to continue to go forward and, and see how it goes. Look, the whole process sucked because the fact of the matter is um, you're losing a generational player, but the questions you always have to ask are, were you going to win with him? And, that age-old question of, like, the star or the team. And it's not like the star is a bad dude, right? Like, you're, you're trading it. i got to get rid of this guy. Um, what they got in return, we're, we're still going to find out, right? In, like, what, three, four years, you'll find out completely what you got out of that trade. You're never going to have the um, – in the moment, everyone's going to say, like, what a haul. And you don't know. Not until those other guys start coming up. But the, the hassles and the wood and uh, – uh, the Susanna kid, who is unbelievable. We got Mackenzie Gore um, and C.J. Abrams and Luke Voigt. I mean, that's a big haul. But you're losing – you're in, in the grand scheme of things. That if I talk about Juan, 
I, I miss out on talking about Josh and how like he's been. I know he hasn't played well at all with San Diego. He was our team MVP here. And again, you lost another unbelievable human, and that's a hard one to uh, to trade off, right? You you don't want to trade off clubhouse guys, guys that are willing to take other people under their wings and, and lead and, and write the ship. So, um, look, if anyone at, at any point wants to question, you know, or not question, I wouldn't say, wants to play uh, uh, Mike Rizzo in any poker, <laughs> good luck, have fun, because you're going to call his bluff, and I, I, I'm sorry. I think he called everyone else's when he did it. You know, it's just what do you do as an organization when you say here's four hundred something million, and now here's four. I mean, you're you're getting to the half a bill mark, and somebody's it's still half it's, a bill. It's still not enough, and it's like, man, you're one guy. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know you got some pop. You're an okay outfielder. I mean, he's not the greatest it, outfielder in I, the world. I, I'm gonna say, it. I, I will say it. it. You're you're getting the hitter. I'm getting a guy that when you say he's a black and white guy, he walks a lot. Great. But I mean, when he starts, when I started seeing these Ted Williams comparisons, I just went, well, I'll just go to baseball reference. And Ted Williams at 23 years old is hitting 370. He's hitting 270. So basically what you're telling me is he walks a lot and he's got some pop. So I can see OPS and stuff like this, but in the end, I mean, I'm, this was my problem with him, is my return on investment. I don't know him. I've never interviewed him. You got to know him. You say he's a great kid. I just, other than just him as a baseball player, I don't know how I'm selling him. I don't know. I mean, he's a guy that walks down. We're in San Francisco right now. He walks down the street. No one's got a clue who he is, right? He's not LeBron James. Well, he he's, not, he's not if Tom he Brady. There, they would. <laughs> well, if he's in your market, but if he's not in your market – I guarantee you when he first walked down the streets of San Diego and people are eating fish tacos and flip-flops, they got no idea who he is. But that's what I'm saying. I mean, $400 million and a guy's turning down, what are you going to do? You, you can't. You can't You can't do anything other than you know you gave your best shot at it. And I think at the end of the day, they did the right. They chose organization over, yeah. you know, going down to a, a, an agent's level of uh, – of fighting for his his player, I believe. You know, I mean, because everyone's gonna uh, again, everyone's gonna fault Scott Boris in the situation. It's like I, 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 is what he's supposed to do is is work and get the most he can for his player, right? And and lead him to success too. So, uh, I I thought overall, it it just sucks that it actually had to happen, but everyone did it right when it comes down to it at the end. If Juan had that opinion that he wants to do say you know, stay out there and, and, and look for more. That's it. That's his opinion. But the, the Nats in general, they gave uh, just an insane offer that he didn't take. Now that you've been in the broadcasting business for a while and gotten away from time being a player, because obviously when you're a player, you have the views that you have as a guy in uniform once you start working for teams, being around teams, you may change, you may not. Where are you now when looking at the game of baseball? It can be finances, how teams are run, how it's changed from Franny the player to Franny now the broadcaster. Uh, I'd say it's virtually the same. I mean, I, I, I still gravitate towards those that work their butts off. 
You know what I mean? Like in, in general, when you're talking to guys, it, it, it tends to be more towards the guys that you, you see respecting what they have. Um, so that that's there. Uh, the analytic world, I get it. I understand it. Um, doesn't mean I believe everything that it is. Guess what? All it is is info. That's all it is. It's just what you want to take and what you don't. That's it. That's it. So I, I think I've, I've changed on that. that end. I'm like, I'm not going to sit here and, and blast uh, people that are given these jobs that are, are trying to, you know, better the team, better the franchise. Now I think some of the, the spendings and building teams, I think all over baseball, I don't, I don't agree with, you know, because it, it's, it, it, it's hard. It, it, it's hard to watch sometimes. Um, at the end of the day, I feel like I've morphed a little bit when it comes to that stuff, but I like, I just like, I like great baseball, no matter what. At the end of the day, we want to watch what makes our job easier. Even if you lose is the last like three weeks for us, we've played our butts off. These guys, like they might've given away one game, right? Where they just didn't have it. Where at the beginning part of the year, it seemed five times a week it was happening. And it was just bad baseball, bad base running, bad, you know, mental mistakes all over the place that the, the coaches are hounding on them. Like we got to correct this. We got to continue. And now you're starting to see when things start to click, whether it's a win or loss, the crispness of the game matters, right? Like to us. And that's, I feel like where everything I, I rested on a, a win and loss as a player, obviously. Um, I, I'm not going to sit here and say that I, I lose sleep overnight, you know, uh, you know, over a loss. Uh, so that, that is a huge change. I got a lot more sleep. I feel like. <laughs> well, I, what, what you're saying is so true. And it's what I try and say with the callers after the game, it's like, if you're still calling up here in late August and complain about wins and losses, like right. I, I get it in June, I get it in July. Now it's about trying to truly find guys that can help you now and, more importantly, right. help you get to where you want to get in the future. Sitting here hanging on every win and every loss in a sport that's played every day in late August heading into September does nobody any good. Right. And, I mean, I could, I could bump it off you on this one. Is like the fact of the matter is, like, aren't we, we're here about the stories. You want to talk about guys that have gotten better. You don't want to talk about the guys that have regressed. You know, like at the end of the day, we don't want to talk. We don't want to bash anybody. But if it's there, it's there. I get it. It's on. It's it's right there. It's low hanging fruit. But I don't know. Just watching the development, like Caber Ruiz, right, our catcher, doesn't have a cannon. He reminds me so much of Benji behind the plate. Works his butt off. Smart, understanding of of the situations. Um, really, really taking ownage with that with that staff. And watching his growth from the beginning part of the year to the end, that has been awesome. And I tell that to him all the time because he's so willing and able to do so many things. Henry Blanco and him have, have, have uh, spent so much time together. Um, but that's the fun stuff to talk about, right? And it's not going out of the – I feel like there's so many people that homer this game that you can't talk about the bad. Like, and I think it's BS. Like, you got to talk about the bad. Yeah. Like, we're so desensitized here. It's like, oh, you, you were talking bad about it. I was like, no, I wasn't talking about it. I'm like, this is mental mistakes. You can't have this. And uh, with Kamer, with guys like that, with guys like uh, Luis Garcia, who's had some severe growing pains when he was playing shortstop, um, you know, there's there's a lot a lot to be asked there. But when it comes down to it, 
or bullpen, the back end of the bullpen, you're seeing the building of something back there, you're going, yeah, that's fun to talk about, right? Now, I still go off on the postgame show because you got to have the roller coaster ride. You just you can't be sure. all you good. Gotta, you got to do it. You gotta yeah, do it. you, you can't be do. all good, can't be all bad, but you, you got to <laughs> take people on the ride. And what's interesting is that we used to say, all right, we stink, you stink. Well, let's see who stinks the most so we can get the first round pick. And that's not the case anymore. I was just reading it off how, it, you know, it's the Nats, the A's, and I think it was the Pirates. All have 16.5%. Then it goes down to, like, the Royals at 13.25. Then a couple teams at 7. So, the, 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 you know, back in, back where we live, remember Suck for Lux, for Andrew Luck? That, that doesn't, that doesn't oh, yeah. exist anymore. No, and the other thing, too, is uh, Strasburg and Harp would probably be the last two guaranteeds, number ones, right? Like, where they never changed, ever. Um and you knew they were going to hit. You knew they were going to be great. We don't have that. So it's like you want to suck all you want. Like, it's a crapshoot in baseball anyways. And those two generational-type players came around once, let alone two years in a row, to have the number one pick to get them both. You're not having that. So if you want to fight and, and go for that one pick, that's all, that's all you want to do. That's fine. But at the end of the day, still got to learn how to win, right? We're going to talk about wins and losses. And uh, – if they're playing better, there's a better opportunity for them to win. And guess what? If they're the two or three pick, great. You know, is it going to change the franchise in one year? No, there's no Strauss. If there is a Strauss, if there is a Harper, I mean, I would be on here selling you, I am losing and I don't care. You know, <laughs> you know? but that's not the case. That's not the case. Strasburg, I, I get the whole thing. You win the World Series. He was a beast. He gets the contract. But at what point is everybody like, oh, my God. I mean, this is $245 million or something, around, around in that range. I mean, that's that's that, that, that that's tough. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. It's been, uh, you know, especially for the franchise looking for, um, you know, quality leadership out of that uh, starting staff. Um, with Scherzer gone, I think it, they were hoping that, that Steven would be able to be uh, ready to go. Um, and unfortunately, that, that thoracic outlet uh, surgery is, is no joke. You know, it started for me like with, uh, with Noah Lowry, you know, and it ripped him up completely. And he was, having, he was on the upswing of a pretty damn good career, right? And, and that was the first time I had heard about that, that surgery. And then it's not like Tommy John. Take out a rib, do all this stuff. It's got a board. Now, there's a lot of stuff that goes on with this whole thing. And for, for Steven, I feel for him. I mean, at the end of the day, you earn that money, right? You earn that right to sign that contract. And you're a competitor. You want to pitch. And I, I, that's where I feel for him because he wants to pitch. Yeah, it gets scary, you know, when you can't field your fingertips. And as you mentioned, you can, you can go get a lim ligament and do the Tommy John. You can do it multiple times. But now you start talking about losing feeling and stuff like that. It is uh, really scary. Ex explain to our audience, you know, if, if, if you weren't a kid and you weren't able to do the, the D.C. trip, and you've never been to Washington, D.C. It's such an international city because people are coming from all over the world. It, it, it's about government. 
It's a it's it's one of the great places if you've never been that you can go for a vacation and a lot of the things that you can do are free. All the Smithsonian's, all the museums are free. It's 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 a you can get a tour of the White House. Contact your local congressperson; they'll get you into the tour to the Capitol building. All free. I mean, this stuff's all free. All free. It's amazing. Just talk about what's like to live in our nation's capital, to broadcast, just just what that's like for a lot of people who've never been. If I could put it into last night at like seven thirty, uh, the fam they were here in town, and we went and and saw Lincoln Memorial and and the Washington Monument at at sunset, and it is one of the craziest things. I mean, we, Amanda and I, my wife, we, we stood there just like going, seriously? Like, through the reflection pool, you're looking at this whole thing, you're like, what? Like, what is, what? Everywhere you go, like, I, I've described this to people. At night, after, after some of these losses at the beginning part of the year, you're, you're kind of, like, frustrated. You're just, like, going back. And then, boom, Washington Monument hits. It's all lit up, and you're like, I'm good. I am good. <laughs> no, because it is it is one of the most fascinating, uh, like, just areas. Everywhere you go, uh, the architecture around here, uh, you know, I, I take the politics out of the whole thing because it always sucks anyways. So you look at the architecture around here, you look at the people, you look at the vibe that has been created by, I think, a lot of this, especially around that Nats Park, around the Nationals. Uh, it's special. It is a special place. And I think it gets a lot of, I think people are so like, just think politics, politics, politics with it. There's so much more about this place. The food's incredible. Um, you got so many different pockets that you can go to around here that whatever you want, you, you, you could have uh, suburban life. You could have, you know, city life. You could have white house life. If you really want, you know, you go down that area. Um, everyone is, is everyone is you is the best way I can describe it because you don't know where everyone's from. And most of the time it's from where you are, <laughs> you know? So there's a ton of Bay area people out here that we've seen, uh, you know, you can go be, you know, living in Philly for the last few years, you go around, there's people Philly there and it, it's a special place. And it, it's been fun to be a part of it. Uh, not only as a player, but now as a broadcaster and, and being able to uh, show that life. How much do you miss home, San Jose? Uh, yeah, all the time. I mean, it's home. You know, it's uh, this year was a hard year in general. Just uh, you know, losing my dad. So I, when you say that, I always go, "Yep, it's like crazy." So uh, home's always going to be home, right? And that's where, where I always say home is. Uh, I have a home base now in, in, in Jersey and, and here in D.C. So, um, yeah, I say I say a lot. Man, I can't just imagine you in that orange cha- that orange tan on the Jersey Shore and a tank top and a chain on. I just don't see that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, dude, that's totally me. No, Are you? Do you have you gotten a Camaro yet? While you're, have you been there? You got no, a Camaro no, no. See, or a... like everyone. North Jersey's very Southern California like friend. You know what I mean? You being the SoCal guy. You know, um, I've been to Jersey a lot. I never got the sense I was in Southern California. South South South, South Jersey. South Jersey is uh, very uh, Bay Area like. That's the way I like to describe it. 
Well, if you keep telling yourself that, then uh, good Thank luck. You. And Thank by, you. I will. And by I the will. And by the way, when we have that rain delay today, I'm going to think the exact same thing. This is like Southern California. <laughs> you know what's crazy is that, like, <laughs> Amanda and I were always thinking, we're like, is, is one of our kids, are they going to have, like, a Jersey accent or something? And <laughs> Tenley last night, at, last night at, at, at dinner was like, can you pass the wooter? And we're like, wait, what? Did you just drop a wooter? You dropped a wooter on us? She's like, yeah, wooter. Isn't that what it is? We're like, water? She's oh, like, yes, God. water. Oh, God, we're there. We're there. She's going to have the Jersey accent. She's going to have a subscription to a tanning salon. It's like going to be great. It's going to no. be great. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. Easy on that. <laughs> all right, buddy, we miss you. We'll be thinking about you. We're oh, all man. getting together on Thursday night because we got this day game. Um for a little Spartan football, so we'll miss you on Thursday. Oh, man, dog, I said what up. All right, my friend, be well. We're, we're proud right. of you. Uh, appreciate it. Thanks, guys. The great Kevin Franzen from D.C. And we love having Mike Farron on. If you have Sirius XM, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, you should have it. Channel 89, the baseball channel, second to none. And Mike Farron hosts Power Alley with former GM Jim Duquette. It is one of the best shows that you're ever going to hear on baseball. Here is Mike Farron. We got Mike Farron. The great Mike Farron is there right now. Yeah, he's he's go- early. Yeah, he's early. He's hardly early for his show. What are you doing? Um, I'm going to be – you want me to – you know I've always been honest with you. I hope so. I've you always – Generally, Tony, when somebody says, I'm going to be honest with you, it means I know they're full of it. Well, this one I'm going to be honest with you, Okay. Um, we got a letter from PG&E. See, I, I, I bought a house about, I bought the new house about six years ago, and the people that live in my neighborhood in San Jose, California, thought it'd be great to put palm trees up. So they must have gotten a deal on palm trees in the neighborhood. Uh, and, of course, palm trees do one thing. They grow. All over. Yeah, oh. well, that's also the, <laughs> so PG&E is here at my house where we would be doing the studio, we will be in our studio for a road game, but I have no power at the house. So today, here you go, Mike Farron. If you were a season ticket holder for the A's, you'd be taking batting practice right now. Wow, that looks like a great event. Huh? That looks like it's a lot of fun. Now, will you be taking batting practice? Oh, well, well, we're going to tell you we didn't know this was going on. We just needed a place to do the show. We showed up and went, oh, it's batting practice. Look now, how this see, works this out. This sounds like a fraud to me because my guess is that everybody, that, that you were secretly going to do this so that you could get in and show off that San Jose State uh, baseball background. So, I, I, I saw you had Franny on yesterday, you know, yeah. I think figured you had to get a real Spartan hitter in there. Yeah, I, I, I think at 50, I still could go deep. I may I may try and get in there. I think I can still take one out of the yard at 50. In jeans and sneakers, you yeah. think you're going bridge. I, I think I can take one out. I, I get five I that can. says no chance. I probably would go with you that, but my bravado says that I still can make it happen. I'll tell you what. If you go deep, what's the you, you guys have A's charities, right? Yeah, I'll make Ace a $50 donation to A's charity if you go deep. That's that big-time Sirius XM money right there. You heard that, folks. 50 bucks on the great Mike Farron. Uh, right now, as we got one month left, what are you most excited about down the stretch? Um, that's a good question. I think the National League East race, 
I, I'm excited about because I think those two teams are really, really good. I mean, I think like to me, there there's five teams that I would say have probably between like a seventy and eighty percent chance of winning the World Series. I think it's the the Astros and the Yankees, and I know the Yankees last six weeks hasn't been great, but that's still a pretty good team. And then I would say Atlanta. The Mets and the Dodgers are the other three. Obviously, the Dodgers are having an incredible year. Yeah. So um, I think that's one of the things I'm most excited about because I do think that has a chance to be very close, and I'm not sure that the Mets are actually better than the Braves. I think they're pretty evenly matched. So that's one thing that I'm excited about. I'm excited about um, I'm excited about Seattle. You know, like I'm excited to see what the, that would be like. Um, you know, my in-laws live in Seattle. My brother-in-law and his family are there. Our nephew is 16 and is a huge Mariners fan. And, you know, he's never seen this in his life, anything like this. So the idea of them potentially hosting a playoff series, it's been 21 years since they've even been there. If they were able to get, like, the number three seed, or no, excuse me, the number four seed and be able to host in the in the um, you know the wild card round, I think that would be pretty cool. So those are the things I think I'm most excited about down the stretch. Well, I'll tell you what, and you know how much I listen to uh, your guys' channel, Channel 89, Sirius XM, MLB Radio. Uh, on Sunday morning, I was driving up, and I love the GM show where Jim Bowden mm-hmm. gets all of his buddies to come on. They had Jerry Depoto on. And it's one thing to read about Julio Rodriguez's contract, but then to have Jerry Depoto actually put it in layman's terms and actually understand all the triggers and everything about it. And listening to Jerry on your guys' air, I was like, I love this idea. I love this idea the way it's structured for maybe a, a small market team like the A's. Like, okay, we'll guarantee you the 120 up front, but then you have all these triggers. And if you meet everything – that means you're a superstar player and you're worth every dime, then it's worth 470. When you heard how it, it, it broke down before we get back into the postseason and, and and looking this last month, just you know, you got me thinking about Seattle. What'd you think about the Julio Rodriguez contract and how it was structured? I mean, incredibly creative. And and I'm with you. I think it's you know less about the market size and more about that, you know, the deal is gonna guarantee him two hundred and ten million dollars. You know, he's gonna he's gotten a five-year, $90 million option on it if he were to pick up, if the Mariners don't take, pick up the more expensive option um, that buys out a number of his free agent years, he still would be looking at $18 million a year. I think that's uh, – I think it's a big win for him. Now, you know, there could be the chance that both of them turn down, turn that down when he hits – you know, gets to free agency at the end of the, the $120 million portion. But it struck me in how fair it was for the player, how f- how – fair it was for the team and how there were still chances for him if he proved that he was the best player in the league to be able to earn at that level. Now, I'm not a huge fan of tying um, financial um, financial commitments on players to BBWAA voting. I think it kind of runs against, runs counter to, I mean, I think the voting runs counter to what the BBWAA's mission should be anyway and covering the game impartially. But I do think that you know, trying to create a way that's the best that they can do in the system that we have right now and cre- creating um, a way to allow that to happen was a smart move. And so I give 
you know, Jerry DePoto credit for it. And, he, you know, I think I've listened to that interview, too, and him talking yeah. about, um, you know, the fact that he had done the first generation deal for Mike Trout and how much that had helped him when he was the general manager of the Angels. Ulysses Cabrera, who's, who's Rodriguez's agent, deserves a ton of credit for being creative in this, too. I think it was a really good structure, and I think they lock up, you know, a guy who has a potential to be an absolute superstar player for, you know, the 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 bulk of his career, if not his entire career. I mean, you know, compare it to the situation that the Mariners were in, you know, when they traded uh, Ken Griffey Jr. to the, the Reds. Like, you, you're not going to have to worry about that, right? Like, if you're a Mariners fan, you can buy Julio Rodriguez gear and you've got it. You know that he's going to be there probably for the next at least 12 years. Yeah, it's been one thing that uh, our fans hate. They always talk about it, like, we can't buy a jersey. We don't know who's going to be here. And listening to that interview, and I'm glad you listened to it, because when Jerry DePoto starts saying, you know, this is from multiple deals to take, okay, I'll take this from what we did with Trout, and I'll take this here, and kind of structure this and make it unique, once you do this, now you're going to have other franchises. I think about what we tried to do with Matt Chapman. Could we have made that a deal more like that that made him and Scott Boris more interested in being Oakland for a longer period of time? Who knows? Yeah, I think it's possible. I mean, I think the other thing that allowed this to happen is how early they did it, right? I mean, he, you're talking about a player that doesn't even have one year of service time. And so it's kind of similar to the Wander Franco deal from last winter. I think it was another one that that, that DePoto referenced there. So, um, you know, obviously things with Chapman would have been a little bit different because he was a little older when he got to the big leagues because he played at Fullerton. But I think you're right in the sense that this could potentially pave the, the groundwork for contracts like that. The, the key to this one, though, that I think is different than a number of the other ones is that it allows the the player to gain to earn close to what market value would be at least as of today 10 years from now if he's who we we think he's going to be there's a good chance that that deal looks like a massive steal because salaries revenues all of that will continue to go up hopefully and so if that happens then it looks like a steal for the team but in today's context in 2022 dollars he's going to be paid fairly for uh, what would be his arbitration and, and potential free agent years that he's given up. And that's that's a big difference, I think, from a number of, especially the the early, um, you know, uh, early team control contracts that we saw, maybe going back to the Cleveland days in the 90s, that were swung very heavily towards the team. Yeah, and, you know, generational wealth, but we always look at it glass half full, right? Well, if we look at it in a way, if something goes bad, the deal's not too restrictive. You can kind of handle that kind of money if it turns out to be a contract that, you know, knock on wood, I don't want to see him get hurt, obviously. Right. I mean, if something goes bad, kind of a la we're kind of seeing with Tatis in San Diego right now, it's not the guaranteed money is not something you can't swallow. Yeah, it, it works out to be, you know, around, what, $18 million yeah. a year if he picks up that option. So, um, and in fact, the option years are at $18 million per. So, yeah, I mean, I think you're right. And, and especially as revenues and payrolls continue to go up, it's going to take out a smaller and smaller portion of that. Uh, looking at just uh, get back to the playoffs, as you mentioned, the Mariners right now, the number five seed. I've got the playoff picture in front of me right here. And just looking at the seeding, and we talk about it for a first time with a bye and 
What do you think as we go down the stretch looking at this as people are jockeying for position and how you how the seeding works in the postseason and how these wild card series, then you meet the one and two seed, it brings a whole new dynamic. Yeah, it does. I mean, I think the the thing is that the top two seeds in each league are pretty well determined, right? So, like, we know that it's going to be whoever wins the East and it's going to be the Dodgers in the National League, and we know it's going to be the Astros and the Yankees in the American League. So then it's a matter of, you know, who gets a chance to play the divisional winner who's going to be, you know, have a, a lesser record. And I think that that might be more important in the American League, and I'll circle back to that in a second. And then it's just a matter of, you know, making sure that you get in. You know, if you are the three or the four seed, you're going to host a three-game series. Um, There's no travel in that round. So there should be a little bit more of an advantage there, even though home field advantage doesn't matter nearly as much in baseball as it does in the other sports. But I do think that's important. The one thing I would say is in the the American League picture, because I think the teams that are in there right now in both leagues are the ones that are probable to finish there. Um, and and that comes from somebody who really likes that Milwaukee team and loved them coming into the year, but they just have not been able to get on track. So um, I think the biggest disadvantage would be like if Toronto finishes at the sixth seed, having to face the right-handed pitching of the uh, the Guardians, I think would be a pretty significant issue for them. Um, because I really think that that Guardian staff is very good, and their best pitchers are from the right side in both the, the bullpen uh, and in the rotation. While Toronto's fine against right-handed pitching over the course of the year, like you're talking about elite-level stuff, and they can run Bieber and, and McKenzie at you, and I think that's a really dangerous tandem. But, um, you know, I think it's mostly just trying to I, – I think for the most part it's just trying to get in, and, um, you know, the back of the National League race becomes a little bit more exciting with that because it's been so long since the Phillies have into the playoffs and they're only a game and a half ahead of the Padres who have you know terrific rotation and uh, can match you up with really quality righties or lefties and um, you know if Milwaukee were to get in they, you know the idea of having to face Corbin Burns and and Brandon Woodruff and Freddie Peralta in the series does not sound like a whole lot of fun so um, I think it's you know for the most part, it's jockeying for position with maybe you know one of those teams that could sneak from the outside. I don't think Baltimore is going to get in, but um, those other teams, you know, at least Milwaukee has a fighting chance. You know, one of the things about baseball at this time of the year, storylines are key. And the Yankees were just here for four games as they split. Now they go down to Anaheim. Now it's Judge and Otani. And what's so good about this, and I've been trying to talk to our our uh, our great listeners, whether it's this show or the post-game show, saying, listen, so much of the sport has now moved into training camps, and we're in preseason football games, and college football is starting, and now football starts to take over. That's something that, even though whether the head-to-head matchup should or shouldn't matter for the MVP, giving us something in baseball that's news that they're talking about around the country, whether it's a sports center or other networks, where on a Monday night and a Tuesday night we're talking about Yankees and we're talking about Angels down at the Big A. How good has that been for our sport? Well, I think it's great, and I think it, it's, you know, like there's the added, and I know this doesn't necessarily, you know, it may cause A's fans to, to roll their eyes a little bit, but, you know, when you have bigger market teams that get together like this, it tends to give you a little bit more attention, right? And so yeah. to have the two best players in the league be in New York and and in the Los Angeles market, I think is important. And I think it, it does, listen, it's going to lead to a lot of debates, right, over, you know, Otani does what, 
you know, he does the job of a top flight starting pitcher and a middle of the lineup hitter. Like he's really important in that regard. Whereas Judge is just having an incredible year. Hi, how are you? It's good to see you. Yeah, it's our season ticket holders. These are our friends, family. You're so popular, man. Like I didn't realize that. I didn't think anybody ever came to give you a hug. I it, yeah, like you you ignore Cody me. never hugs you. You ignore me at spring training. You and the Duke. Yeah. We got to force you to come on the show. Here, people love me. See, that's you're amongst your people. But I think I, I got to buy you drinks um, in San Diego just to hang yeah, out with you. I know. Well, it's looks like I'm going to be doing that again this doing winter, that again by the this way. year, right? Yeah. <laughs> so at least, hey, at least we'll be able to get together in San Diego this year. That so I I I do think that it, it's a big positive, and I think that that the discussion on Otani versus Judge is a positive for the sport too, yeah. because both teams are are or both players are really important players. I mean, I think Judge, you know. It's not insignificant to see Judge get the American League record in home runs. I mean, especially that's a, a number that still has significance, I think, in 61. Um, you know, he's 10 shy of tying Maris, which would be both the franchise and the American League record. Um, you know, it's I'm not looking forward to the sports talk show-ish debate over uh, whether or not that's the legitimate home run record or if it's Bonds, oh, because the record book says it's Bonds, and it's gonna, Bonds. That's going to be big here, by the way. Oh, I'm sure oh, it's going to be. But you know what? Like, I'm not going to waste your time by talking about it because I know <laughs> what the record books say. So, uh, but I do think it's pretty cool. And I, and listen, like Judge's season is incredible. And I think the most incredible part of what Aaron Judge has done this year is that for the most part, he's played center field and oh. played it pretty well. Like that guy is, and I mean this in the best possible way, a freak. Like he is one of the, like he's one of the smartest hitters in baseball. If, if we had an automated strike zone, I think you would have seen his strikeout rate drop about 5% total over the year because nobody gets more low strikes called against him, the bitches that aren't strikes, because he's so tall. Yeah. Like, that guy is a smart hitter. He would get terrific command of the strike zone, terrific defender. Like, he's got everything going for him. And then Otani is, I mean... Otani's just a joy, man. Like that guy's that guy does something every night that like nobody else can do. It's I we're so lucky to be able to watch Shohei Otani play, I think. I'm so glad you brought up what a freak Aaron Judge is, because so much of the fanboy in our sport looks at Otani and it is. He's a unicorn. He's doing stuff that we haven't seen ever. It's not Babe Ruth. No one's ever done this. But mm-hmm. you forget, wait a minute, Aaron Judge, I try and tell people this because when you stand on the field next to him. He basically looks like an offensive tackle, not a basketball player. Basketball players aren't that big. Like, he's the size of Draymond Green, but he's way bigger than Draymond Green. He's sniffing almost He's the sign of er- size of Eric Green, the <laughs> old Steelers tight end. That's he, what he is. He could literally, if he gained 20 pounds, he could be a left tackle. He is mm-hmm. that big. And as you said, he's playing, plays right, does some DH, but he's doing it at center field, a premium position, and he does everything. That's why I tell people, just don't say, because Otani's doing something we've never seen before. Well, we've never seen a human being this big play baseball and have him do it in center field. He's also a freak. Well, I think that's the I think that's the part of it is that it, it's not just that he's played center field. Like Jeremy Burnett's played a fair amount of center field, right? But Burnett's was never a great defender. Judge plays the position well. Like, I think that's the other aspect of it. And I don't think, as much as I think what Otani does every day, it, it's easy to say, like, listen, this guy is one of the top pitchers in the league and also he's one of the top hitters, and so he should be the MVP. 
I totally can see that argument, but I also don't think you should discount what Judge is doing because it's not just about the home run total. I mean, he is a dominant. He has been nearly twice as valuable or, or twice as productive as the average offensive player. You know, I like weighted runs created plus a lot. 100 is average. Judge is at 198. That means he's been 98% more productive than the league average player while mostly playing one of the tougher defensive positions. He's not just putting out – Otani's putting up an Otani season. Judge is putting up a Trout season, only with better power. You know, one thing, if, if you kind of poke holes, right, and we get to see Otani more than other people, and one thing that doesn't get brought up that happened earlier in the season is when the Angels took a dive. They were a team that was right there. We were all talking about, oh, my God, finally, Trout, Otani in the postseason, the Angels. They lost 14 straight. It's franchise record. Joe Madden gets canned, and that was kind of their season right there. And if you go back and look at the numbers during that time, the pitching wasn't great for Otani. The hitting wasn't great at all. And that's when they needed their guy the most, and that's where I look at Aaron Judge. And I'm not going to say one guy's on a better team than the other, but the pressure that Judge is under, like he didn't homer for nine games and people are on him. I mean, you lose 14 straight, your season's over. No one outside of Anaheim was really freaking out. If the if the Yankees lost 14 straight and Judge wasn't hitting, oh, my God, I can't even imagine what it would be like. So the pressure Judge is under is so immense. Yeah, it is. I mean, and I think the other part is that he's, he's kind of having um, a Sammy Sosa-ish year and that he's having to carry this offense, right? Like, it's almost like – Sosa 98, you know, when he when he won the MVP award where he was kind of like the only guy that was having a monster season. And so I I get that aspect of it. But it's also, as you know, really difficult to go to the ballpark and post and still perform every day when the team is not playing well. And that's where they are. I mean, they're in a position where not only did they have that long losing streak, but they had their manager come in, and then their interim manager makes the decision to have an opener throw at a guy and ends up getting suspended for ten <laughs> Phil, games. Right? Phil and Nevin. like it just like <laughs> like there's there's enough other stuff that goes on, and I don't know that we can fully understand the pressure that Otani is on every game because everything that he does is a national event in an entire country, right? Like, Aaron Judge has to deal with New York. Okay, that's fine. There are more people in Japan than there are in New York City, and everything that Otani does, everything that he says, every move that he makes is followed to the nth in his home country. And, heck, it might be just a relief playing in the States in that regard. (laughs) So, like, there's probably not – there probably isn't as much pressure as there is from back home. So I do think that that while you're right, from a one-loss standpoint, there is more pressure on Judge to perform, and especially with the expectations for his team, there are external pressures that are on Otani that I don't think any of us can fathom. Like, Ichiro can fathom, that's about it. Uh, real quick, if you voted right now, which guy are you voting for? I, I don't vote for awards, so I'm not. I don't care. Real quick, if you had to vote for awards. one, who would you vote for? Just who are you voting for? I don't know. No? In another month to make a decision. Goldschmidt for sure in the National League? I think Goldschmidt, yeah. I, and, and as somebody who's known Paul for a long time, I'd be very happy okay. for him. I mean, um, you know, he's he's got a legitimate chance to be the first Triple Crown winner in the National League in 85 years. Yeah, Joe Medwick, 80, by the way, who had yep. a, who I did know the nickname 
Ducky. I didn't know Ducky it was Medwick. Ducky. Yep. Yes, the great Ducky. Uh, Ducky let's Medwick. end on this. Uh, somebody who's been so good to us, uh, I can't tell you. There's one manager that we have on all the time, and he always tells his PR staff, oh, I want to do the video with him because most people just want to do the phone call. They don't want to deal with it. And uh, ever since we got to meet him in San Diego at the winter meetings in 2019, uh, he's been so good to us. And Tori Lovello getting his contract picked up for another year. You know him so well. He's a former A. And like I said, what he's done for us here on A's Cast as a a manager, a former athletic, uh, just happy. How happy are you for him that he's in the situation he's in. He loves to be there. He continues to want and build there. And he's going to get that opportunity. I, I'm very happy for him, and especially when you consider that they lost 110 games last year and stuck with him through that, and now they've been able to see the reward of it from the other side. You're not going to find a better person in baseball, in my opinion, than Tori Lovello. He's just a tremendous human being. Um, and he's a really good manager and player development manager. You know, I think I don't know that he's necessarily the best at – uh, bullpen maneuvering or certain X's and O's inside the game. But I think in terms of feel, getting the pulse of players, figuring out what they need, building relationships, um, being a communicator, I think Tori's top of the chain. And you'd be hard-pressed to have somebody. He's the, you know, like, he's the kind of person that you dream of wanting to work for, right? He'll let you do your job unless there's an issue. Then he's going to address it right away, but he's going to get your input as well on everything. And I am I could not be happier for him. And it is fun watching them start to turn the corner a little bit. Um, they're now tied with the Giants for third place in the West. Oh. And, you know, some of that is the Giants have, have struggled because oh. they haven't been able to recapture the mat- magic from a season ago. But part of it is that you know, Arizona has some pretty good young players. And, you know, we get to see Corbin Carroll's debut this year out here in the desert and, and this week. And, you know, he's got a chance to be that kind of impactful two-way guy as a guy with a lot of doubles and triples, stolen bases, hit for a high average, and play really good defense. So um, I'm excited for Torrey. I'm happy for, for him because you know, he's one of my favorites. Well, I can tell you here in the San Francisco Bay Area, the media does not want to really dwell on it. So I feel it's my obligation to let everybody know on a daily basis that this is the biggest drop-off from year to year for the San Francisco Giants in the history of Major League Baseball. <laughs> I just feel it's my duty now, to let people know. Now, why would that know. be on your list of things to bring up? Because I'm a I journalist. I possibly understand why. I am a journalist. Yes. I'm not a talk show host. I'm not an opinion maker. I'm not a hot take guy. <laughs> I graduated with a degree in radio, television, and film. I'm a journalist, and I need to let the public know the truth. The only thing that you were missing with it is I'm going to be honest with you because that would have been the perfect thing to say before you said I'm a journalist and not a hot take artist. Oh, God, it's the best. Hey, real quick, I saw what your guest list is. One, you have to ask Sean Doolittle about playing with puppies all day because they had puppies at the ballpark yesterday in Washington, and he was, like, literally getting in the cage with them and playing, like, cross-legged on the ground like puppies crawling all over him. Okay. And I saw you've got Eric Valenzuela on. I love Eric Valenzuela. Like, that guy is a great coach, and you know he was a Golden Gloves boxer. Uh, well, that will be now brought up. What else you got? That's that's all. Listen, I can't do all your prep for you. You got Cody for a reason. What else you got? Come on, Golden Gloves. You got to have something else, no, right? No, man, it's, I'm big. Uh, er, I mean, Eric did a terrific job. 
at St. Mary's, they had a little bit of a disappointing season this year at Long Beach. I think there were higher expectations than what they they ended up reaching. But I think the the Dirtbags program is in great hands with him. He's tough as nails and a totally fair and a really, really good baseball coach. Well, I always appreciate your time. You're one of the tops in our business. You know how much I love you. You forgot to say I'm going to be honest with you. To be completely honest with you, Duke carries you. No, I love your guys' show. You know, (laughs) hey, at least you, you know I listen. Yes, I do. I do. I'm glad that we have a P1 in you. I am a first-time caller, long-time listener of your guys' show. <laughs> Appreciate it, bud. It's good to talk to you. So and, stay out of the sun. And, yes, drinks on me in San Diego. Okay. <laughs> Take care, buddy. See you, pal. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And we need to get the scouting report on Ken Waldachek. Well... You want to go get the guy who coached him. He was the head coach at St. Mary's, now the head coach at Long Beach State. Eric Venezuela joined us on Ace Cast Live. Eric, how are you? I'm here. All right. Welcome to A's Cast Live. You're familiar with the athletics from your time in Northern California. Absolutely, man. I love it. Love it. Miss it. So, first of all, let's talk about you before we get to Waldachuk. How are things down there in Southern California? You know what? It's been great. Um, you're right. I enjoyed my time. I, my family and I loved it up there. We were up there for six years at St. Mary's College in Moraga and definitely miss our time in the Bay Area. We loved it. Um, but uh, this is an unbelievable opportunity, uh, you know, for me and my family. This is back home for us. We're from the San Gabriel Valley here in L.A. And, um, All right. you know, the tradition of, uh, you know, great players and coaches and teams that have uh, been part of Long Beach State is, is uh, first class and we love being here. So, yeah, thank you. It's been it's been great. I mean, obviously, the challenges of COVID and my first year here when I left uh, Moraga in 20 was COVID year. So, oh. you know, it hit us. I've been here for three full seasons and it's been two the, the first year of COVID. Second year as well, we got affected by COVID by not having a non-conference season uh, and only a conference season. And then so last year was like almost like our first uh, real full year. And so, yeah, it's been but it's been going great. Yeah, I'm a dinosaur. I played uh, in the Big West for San Jose State when we were all in the same conference, Long Beach State, Fullerton, Fresno State. And uh, many a times it battles with Long Beach, and so much respect. Coach Snow was there at the time yep. years ago. And, you know, when I think yep. about Southern California baseball, you know, everybody always thinks USC and UCLA because of football and, of course, UCLA with basketball. But when you think of all the great players, I mean, we just had Steven Rodriguez, who was at Pepperdine uh, as a head coach, then at Baylor, now at Texas, but one of the great players. The amount of talent that's gone through Southern California, you can go even go south. I actually grew up in San Diego next to San Diego State. From a college mm-hmm. standpoint, people just don't understand the amount of talent's insane down there that runs through these great programs. Absolutely, and it's um... – I wouldn't say it's very difficult to recruit. I mean, there's so many good players everywhere, but yeah. especially here 
um, in Southern California. I think the challenge for us is finding the right fit, right? The guys that are right for this, uh, for this place and want to, want to be developed by this coaching staff and want to be part of this wonderful tradition. And, and there's so much more to it, you know, when it comes to location and the school and the development and the coaches and all of that, but you're right. I mean, we don't have to go very far to find really good players and good talent. Um, but that's also the challenge, right? Cause there's, there's more to it than, than, than the talent and the ability. We have to kind of dive into everything. And so we're blessed to be in uh, what I call the, the, you know, the hotbed of, of baseball. That's for sure. How has, that COVID year where high schools were shut down, so much was shut down. Uh, it had to change recruiting. It had to just change the kids overall. I have, I have teenagers in high school right now. Their lives were so dramatically changed, just not from their activities, but just their maturity and who they are as trying to become young adults, just from a standpoint of baseball. And as I said, just not baseball, these kids just in general, how much did this time change them and what have you seen? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it did, it did a, uh, it did a lot, you know, I I would say good and bad. I mean, I think number one, to have to go through um, what, you know, us coaches and players and parents, right. All had to go through for these last few years. You know, I think it's really going to teach our boys and our, you know, our kids in general, just, you know, that life's not easy, you know, and that you have to make adjustments and you got to make some turns and that's okay. I think that's a big part of this thing. Um, But on the other side of things, I think it took away from some development time, you know, when you're talking specifically with baseball, you know, when you're not, you know, you don't have the ability to get in cages or to get on baseball fields and work out as a young kid when, you know, those years are crucial, you know, with some of these guys that are in high school, you know, I mean, um, I think that that could take a toll and we're seeing a little bit of that, but you know, then there were also those that found a way, right, that worked and, and had to, you know, do it in their garage or their backyard or whatever. I think from a college baseball side of things, I think it stung the recruiting a little bit and, and it it made us have to um, get outside of our comfort zone as well because there's we couldn't get on the road, right? The NCAA shut us down where we couldn't go watch games. Nobody was playing. So a lot of it was video and a lot of it was trusting, you know, obviously friends in the business that were either high school coaches, travel coaches, scouts, whatever. And so you know, when you're making, uh, you know, big decisions on kids and you really, you know, haven't seen a ton of them or maybe even in person at all, you know, that's that's uh, it's very it's very tense and, and you get nervous, you know, for sure. When I think about Ken Waldachuk and him coming to Oakland, it's the land of opportunity. You can get stuck in the Yankees system and not get a chance coming here. It's the land of opportunity. So we're going to see him tomorrow in our nation's capital. Just how proud are you of him making his big league, big league debut? And what are we getting in this left-hander? <laughs> well, yes. I mean, I'm absolutely, truly uh, excited. I mean, he reached out to me on Monday to let me know. And, I mean, he just made my uh, made my day, that's for sure. Um you know, he's a great story. I mean, I don't know if anybody knows this, but, you know, coming out of uh, University High School in San Diego, he was, no, he was, I mean, nobody recruited him. He had no options at the Division One level. And, you know, we found out about him, about this big physical lefty that was, you know, a mid-80s guy that um, that missed some bats, but he had some command issues. And um, and we actually got him, you know, as a, as a non-scholarship walk-on. Wow. You know? And, um, and, you know, I was telling a story yesterday. I mean, that's there's a difference between getting being able to get a walk on at St. Mary's versus, you know, a Long Beach State. I mean, it costs, you know, sixteen, seventeen thousand dollars to go to Long Beach State at 
at St. Mary's, it's you're talking, you know, between 55 and 60,000. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a big difference. So the fact that we were able to get him on campus for, for no scholarship and he earned it, right? I mean, I, I definitely gave him scholarship down the road after his first year, he earned it for sure. And not only did he earn it as a, you know, as a pitcher, you know, and as a player, but he earned it uh, as the type of person and the type of student um, that he was. And, and that's what did it because not only is he a special talent on the mound and, and how much better he got from high school through, you know, obviously through us at St. Mary's and then on to pro ball. But I mean, never had any issues with him academically, never had any issues with him being late to anything. And these guys have, it's a, it's a full-time job, you know, for these college student athletes and, you know, and then came from great parents and, and great family that, that really, you know, that kind of let him be and let him grow up and let him go through some, some tough times. And, and, um, you know, we as coaches never heard a peep from the parents other than support. And, uh, and that's always, uh, you know, that's always nice as well. But I'm so excited. You're getting a, a bulldog, you know, you're getting a guy that, that, I mean, I mean, Oakland fans, um, you know, should be absolutely excited, um, for Ken to be in this organization. He's a stud. I mean, he's a, he's a horse. Um, he's going to put up huge innings, um, and he wants the ball. Uh, you know, in the biggest situations, he makes that big pitch when it matters all the time. Um, you know, and and um, he's just even kill. When you talk to him, you kind of get a little flustered because he, he it almost seems like he's ignoring you or he doesn't want to talk to you. But it's not <laughs> even that. You know, it's just not that. That's just his personality. He's really even kill, and and that's how he is on the mound when it's when it's going a little fast. You know, and there's guys on base, and it's less than two outs, and you know, it's it's maybe he's ball two, and you know, I mean, he's able to just control that emotion and be under control and be, you know, make big pitches when it matters, and um, and that's what I love about him. He doesn't say much, and that's okay. You know, that's all right. He talks with what he does on the mound and and his work ethic and his character. You know, one thing I've noticed in video from AAA, he recently struck out nine in a game, seven in a row, and I don't know if he had these same mechanics while pitching for you but he really hides the ball way way behind him and that is that's something that is so special i hide the baseball the less the hitter sees it the less he knows what's coming has he always been like that and what kind of weapon is that yeah you know what i was talking to my pitchers yesterday um you know, obviously everybody is excited, uh, you know, that, that um, you know, Ken's there. But I was talking to my own pitchers here, and I was telling them, I mean, there's just those guys that have like a disappearing fastball. Ken has always had that, where a lot of times in college, we didn't have to throw anything other but, you know, than the fastball for a lot of innings in a row because they just couldn't square it up. And you're right. He hides the ball well. He's big. It has angle to it. Um you know, when he pounds the when he pounds the zone, I mean, he's very difficult to square up to hitters. And, you know, and I would use this example and I said, man, I wish this happened to me when I was pitching. You know, he would get a 2-0 count or a 3-1 count and throw a fastball right down the middle and they would just swing and miss, you know, where, you know, the pitchers were laughing. I was like, that never happened to me. If I had a 2-0 count and threw one down the middle, it was gone or hit for a double, you know. <laughs> he had that luxury and that's what he had. He just has that disappearing fastball that, you know, when he, if he got behind or it just made his fastball look like it was 100, you know, and it was in college, you know, anywhere from probably that 91 to 94 range. But, you know, I mean, it, it acted like an upper 90s fastball, you know, and and then, you know, I think little by little he started, you know, obviously learning how to, how to, you know, pitch a little bit backwards when, when he, uh, when he needed to. And, and that's what we try to do with our guys and get them prepared for the next level is to be able to adapt to any situation, right? If they, 
you know, they can pitch with their fastball, great, you know, but they have to be able to, to pitch backwards when needed and pitch with their off speed. It doesn't matter how hard you throw. Um, and I think our guys are able to do that. And he's a great example of that is, yeah, he uses that fastball, but now, you know, he could throw that curveball, that slider, that changeup in any count. And that's what makes his fastball even better. I mean, you guys were creating a pitching factory out of St. Mary's. I mean, Corbin Burns, mm-hmm. you think, I mean, it's just like when you had all these guys there at St. Mary's, did you like know and you could tell at that point, yeah, these guys are big league talent or did they mature into that? No, I think all three of them have different stories, you know, but, you know, obviously they all were very talented and we were lucky to get them and have them, but they all kind of have their different story. You know, Corbin, you know, first off, Corbin and Tony were both, you know, they were position players, you know, first in high school before they, you know, were pitchers. And so, you know, they were athletic and that, that makes a big difference when you're a pitcher, right? They had, they were shortstops and, you know, so they were athletic kids, but very raw on the mound. And so, you know, they worked really hard and, you know, I mean, Corbin had stuff, um, but he was also just a pitcher for us. So we had a lot of time to, for the three years he was with me to keep on improving every year and get better and focus his attention on that. Tony's story was different because he was our best hitter as well. And he hit in the three hole for us and he played right field for us. And, you know, the first year he closed for us, he would come in uh, from right field and close games and he'd be all dirty and have eye black on. And he would, uh, you know, he'd, he'd come in and just throw flame throwing fastballs by guys for an inning. And then he was good and he got a save. And then we put him in the starting rotation. I mean, and just imagine that, right? I mean, 56 games and, you know, 13 weeks or whatever it is. Yeah. And, and he's playing, you know, he's hitting at the top of our, you know, the three hole playing right field and and he's starting on the weekends. And so we had to manage that and manage his, you know, his arm, manage his body and making sure we did those. So there were all kind of different paths. And then, you know, and then, um, and then Ken comes in right after those guys, because those guys, they got drafted in 16 the same year. And then Ken came in as a freshman that very next year in 17. And then he got drafted in 19. So they were back to back and Ken was just, just a different path. Now he's left-handed. He's big, he's physical. We got to get him in shape. We got to, you know, teach him how to pitch. And, and um, you know, he's a guy that went from, you know, an 85, 86 guy in high school. And all of a sudden he's, you know, 91, 94. And he commands a little, you know, we got to get him in the zone a little bit better and pitchability. And so, you know, they kind of all had their same story. But, you know, I mean, the one common thing that they all had was they just had an unbelievable work ethic. And for as nice as all three of those guys are, you know, um, in person, um, and when you talk to them, when they're on the mound, they're, they're, pit bulls man they're they're just super competitors and um and that's what's what's pretty common with all those three you know i think about tony going the on the il right now still definitely has a chance to win the cy young in the national league and when you talk about a two-way player our own manager who i got to play against in college mark kotze who's one of the great college players of all time you know you just think if he would have got that opportunity to be a two-way guy because you draft a guy and you go, nope, you're hitting or you're pitching. And now with Shohei Otani doing what he's doing, do you think maybe possibly we will have teams be more open to allow a guy, say, hey, let's see, can you pitch, can you hit? Let's see if you can do both. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's a way, I mean, I think we've been really successful with two-way guys way back to, I mean, my the days with, uh, with Rich Hill at University of San Diego. Um, but there's a, you have to be able to manage it correctly. And that's the tough thing is, 
you know, especially at the college level and obviously at the pro level too, but in college, I mean, you know, when you're practicing, you know, five or six days a week and you're lifting weights and you're conditioning and you're, you got your throwing program and you're going to class every day. And when do you eat all these things? They, you know, it's tough enough for, for, for just a normal student, you know, but when you're a student athlete and then on top of that, you're a two-way player and one that is like a legit two-way player, it's very difficult to manage and you have to have, uh, you know, you have to kind of know how to do it and they have experience with it. So yes, it absolutely is possible because a lot of these kids are super athletes. I mean, you look at now compared to 15 years ago, man, these kids are just, uh, um, I mean, they're superior athletes, but the other part of it is there's a lot more POs now, right? Pitchers only now than there was in the past too, right? There's, you know, these guys have been pitching only since they were eight years old versus, you know, playing other sports and, and, um, you know, playing the infield, outfield and pitching, you know, doing those things. So, but yes, I mean, I love it. I mean, it's right. You go watch Shoheim and that's pretty, pretty exciting. And, um, um, and Hey, before they took the, you know, the DH thing and some of those hitters, you could, some of those pitchers, you could tell they swung the bat before, you know? Well, enough of this baseball, baseball soft. We all know it. Let's talk boxing. What is this? You are a golden glove boxer. <laughs> No, 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 no. That's not it. <laughs> I boxed when I was young, but, but uh, no. So I come from a boxing background. We're four decades. Uh, my my grandpa, um, he boxed and and professionally, and then uh, owned a gym and trained fighters for a lot of years. And then my dad took it over, and now you know he's into his forty third year, I believe. And, wow. You know he's, he's had world champions and was a national USA national coach for years and years. And um, and then I, you know. He had a different path for me. I boxed young and then said, Hey, this is uh, you know, I want you to be a baseball player and do that. And then, uh, and then now my son, so I have twin boys, they're 12 years old and they're boxing competitive. They play baseball as well, but they're, they box competitively as well. And so it's just in my blood, man. And uh, I love it. It's, you know, guys have hobbies, right? They golf and they have other hobbies outside <laughs> of their, their work. Mine is boxing, man. Mine is uh, I, yeah. I just, I'm a boxing historian. It's in my blood. I love it to death. I mean, you look at my, Look at my, you know, my background out here. It's in my office at Blair Field and it's all boxing posters. And, you know, I think it just gives our, you know, for me, you know, you kind of push that mentality on our players and on our team. And it kind of just gives you that, gives us that extra little edge and the little, we're a little bit different and a little bit more crazy than everybody else. So. One of the best lines ever is Mike Tyson saying everybody has a game plan until they get hit in the face. And it's so true. Mm -hmm. And you know, there's something about I wish boxing was more like it when we were kids because a big prize fight was the biggest thing. Nothing was better. But there's so many things that boxing can teach you. And number one, I think football does this too. Hockey can do it for baseball players. Is that is that toughness? This isn't mm -hmm. easy. You got to be tough to be successful. Yep, I agree. And and I always talk about the preparation. You know, I always talk about I talk to our guys. And I ask him this question, okay, when you're not prepared as a baseball player, what's the worst thing that can happen? And, you know, they'll say, well, you know, as a pitcher, you get ripped, right? Or as a hitter, you strike out or, you know, you go for four. And I said, exactly. I said, but as a boxer, if you're not prepared, tell me what can happen as a boxer. You know what I mean? If you're not truly prepared, you know, you could break your nose. You can get, I mean, concussions, you know, I mean, it's, it's a way worse outcome physically. And so the level of preparation has to be like a boxer right i mean they're fighting for their lives and and they can't take a day off and they have to give it all they got and they have to be absolutely prepared and so that's kind of the mentality we use with our guys and and uh you know i think they feed it and, and they love it 
Let's end on this because love the college game, love college baseball. Are you worried about all these decisions being made in sports uh, that are about college football? OU and Texas going into the SEC, UCLA, USC going into the Big Ten. Now we're hearing, you know, it could be Washington, Oregon. Who knows what it's going to be like, but it's going to affect all the other sports also. Are you worried about that? No, I'm not. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm worried for, you know, if something were to happen, you know, negative to, you know, any college sports or teams, and that's going to limit student athletes from having opportunities. Yes, of course, but no, I'm not. I mean, I, I think now more than ever, when you're talking about specifically college baseball, I mean, it's as popular as popular can be. I mean, it really is. And, and, you know, the path to the big leagues and, and I mean, colleges, it just seems like the way to go, you know, and, and now the coverage on TV and I mean, um, yes, I mean, it's, it, you know, the, the stadiums and, you know, sometimes the fan coverage, you know, from other places outside of Southern California or on the West coast might be a little bit, but I mean, there's, you can't, um, you know, get away from the fact that, I mean, West coast, California, Northern, Southern, you know, Central California, this is, uh, you know, this is it. And the hotbed of baseball, I, I'm truly excited to be here. And, you know, am I concerned? No, I think I think college sports, I mean, there are some things, you know, when it comes to pay and all that kind of stuff that, you know, is probably for a different uh, different time. But, but no, I think um, for our sport specifically, I mean, this is as good as, it, as it's been and, and as much coverage as it's been. And it's pretty exciting. And I'm just glad to be part of this thing right now. Well, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. And I know you're going to be proud tomorrow. And it's going to be very special for you. So enjoy his debut and uh, have a good rest of the fall and good luck next season. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. We'd like to thank Kevin Franzen, Mike Farron, and Eric Valenzuela for joining us on A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast, powered by iHeartRadio. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.